is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you today, and I thank you that we can be here and gather and hear your word and just worship together. Father, I pray that your spirit would be present with us and that you would use speak to speak truth to us. Lord, help us to be present today and to block out any distractions and to just know your will and to just better understand what it means that you died on the cross for us and the grace that we've received from that, Lord. We love you, and I pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, good morning, everyone. I hope you have your Bible this morning. As Krista read, we will be looking at John chapter 15. We are doing a short series called Come and See. The last two weeks, we've looked at an interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus, where Jesus was much more blunt and straightforward with the religious leader. Last Sunday, we looked at um, Jesus and his interaction with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, <clears throat> where he offered her living water that would truly satisfy the deepest desires of her life. This morning, we are jumping ahead to John chapter 15. And we are looking at the remaining moments that Jesus has with his disciples. The passage is about how we live life well as Christians, how we live our lives with an invisible Jesus. The context, if we look back into John chapter 14, the context is that the disciples are deeply concerned because Jesus is leaving them. Two times, John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus wrote, Do not let your hearts be troubled. John 14, 27 said, Jesus said again, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. They are, are afraid because Jesus is leaving. And the connection with us is just that idea of 
feeling abandoned or feeling left alone. You maybe have experienced something like that if your parents have been divorced, if you've lost someone that you loved, if you have been left um, or separated from friends and you have those feelings of loneliness or isolation. Those are the feelings that the disciples have. They are deeply concerned about how they will function without Jesus. And so this morning, we are going to look at this passage. We are going to come and see Jesus as he gives the disciples instructions, how he teaches them how to live life, how to live the Christian life. How do we even cope with life? Life has so many challenges. Life is difficult sometimes. And this morning, really, it's just, I want to be as simple and as straightforward and as clear as I can that Jesus offers us help on how to live life, on how he wants us to live our lives. And basically, what's going to happen in the story is that Jesus is going to say to the disciples, the way you live life is you stay attached to me. You stay attached to me. You, you maintain that deep connection, that deep living connection with Jesus Christ. And I'll explain more specifically what that means because that's somewhat vague. But the point is, is that even though he's invisible, we don't get to talk to Jesus today, that even though he's invisible, we can live the Christian life through faith. And that's how he wants us to live. We, we've all had times in our lives when we felt disconnected. We've had times in our lives when we felt alone, isolated, afraid, unsure about how to live life the way Jesus wants us to. I've mentioned before, and I'll just be very brief on this, but um, when I was a young boy, my father passed away of cancer. And of all of you guy friends here, you know, if you have friends here that are your age and they had kids and one of them were to pass away, the friends would st really step up in a meaningful way. And so after my dad passed away, one of his best friends um, really functioned as a father in my life in a really meaningful way. Um, but what happened later on in life, I think I was actually a sophomore, junior in college, he was diagnosed with brain cancer. And this guy who really functioned in a meaningful way in my life um, eventually died of, of brain cancer. And I can remember my last conversation with him, 21 years old or so, and I remember talking to him and the cancer had done so much damage to his body and specifically to his brain, it was as if I was talking to a six-year-old. And it was, it was devastating to me. Like this man in my life who was so significant to me in my life um, that that's what was happening to him. And eventually, a short time later after that, he actually did pass away. But I can remember, you know, I was at a Christian college and, and Jesus was important to me at this time. But I can remember thinking, my life is really different. My life is going to be, how am I going to function? How am I going to cope with life with this other person now taken away? And the, the answer to that really is just 
really pressing more deeply into who Jesus is and how he wants us to live. There is, there is so much talk about talk. There's so much information, but how do we actually live our lives? And I always want to be pressing into that. We, we come and gather on Sunday mornings and I talk to you for a half an hour, 40 minutes or whatever, but how does this impact how we actually live our lives? And so Jesus is talking directly to this. How are you going to live your life? I'm, I'm leaving. And so there are three things that show up in this passage, that, and there are more, but just that I'm going to draw our, our attention this morning to three things that can have an impact in our lives. And that has to do with three ways we are attached. Three ways we are attached to Jesus. All right, so number one we'll look at, we are attached to Jesus in that he gives us the source of our life. Jesus is the source of our life. Number two, Jesus is the purpose for our life. And number three, Jesus is the power for our life. And those are, those are again, are somewhat vague, but the passage will bring clarity to those in exactly what I mean. So number one, you want to live life well? You need to know this. Number one, that Jesus is the source of your life. If we can have, I think I, do we have that next picture that we can put up? All right, because this, this wasn't all that clear to me. And it's kind of funny, okay? I, I didn't grow up as a growing grapes at all. But in the middle, in Israel, Jerusalem, this area, grapes are a huge part of the culture. You know, even in Malibu, we see these appearing now. But Jesus is very clear when he says that he is the vine. And the vine, if you don't know, that's the really like dark, thick part right there, right? So I needed a visual aid because I've read, I've read this obviously for a very long time, but for me in my life, I needed a visual aid to make sense of this. Jesus is the vine. He is the source of life. So the little branches coming off, that's us. To live, to live life, to, to thrive and flourish in life, you must know that the source of your life is Jesus himself. In the exact same way, and we'll just talk about plants for just a minute, in the exact same way that the, those little branches have nice green leaves on them, it's because the source of life is the vine. The only way branches have life is because they are connected to the vine. No other source of spiritual life other than Jesus. That is where everything comes from in your life, that he is the source. No leaves, no blossom, no fruit. There's nothing unless the branches are connected to the vine. Jesus says in verse 1, I am the vine, the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Jesus is talking about our lives being grafted into his. That is where our life comes from. That is the source of life. And what happens is we often think of our, we, we don't necessarily think about it this way. We think of ourselves as grafted into church grafted into Christian values, grafted into sexual morality, grafted into giving, grafted into the Ten Commandments, 
grafted into baptism, grafted into a Christian college, grafted into Christian parents, all these things, a lot of them are really good things. None of those things are the source of your life. The source of your life is that your life has been grafted into the life of Jesus. And so Jesus wants to make it very clear to the disciples, I'm leaving, but you need to know this very clearly, that I am the source of your life. When you feel alone, when you feel like you've been broken off, when you feel disconnected, I am the source. John chapter 15 continues, and it's very clear the disciples are going to struggle. There's going to be challenges. And in the same exact way, for all of our lives, for all of us, there are seasons where there are real challenges. We must function and live our lives that Jesus is the source of our life. There's only one way for any of us to persevere in the Christian life. That is to understand the source. There's only one way to endure, and that is to know the source of your life. It's not your own willpower. It's not your own commitment to morning devotions. It's not your own commitment to doing all these really good things that are good commitments, that are meaningful commitments, but your life must be grafted into Jesus. Because when you are weak, when you are weak, He is still strong. That is the point. It's not us living our lives independent. It's not being near Jesus. It's not being associated with Jesus. It's being grafted in. The danger for all of us right now is that all of us here right now, being at church on Sunday mornings, we are all near Jesus. We are all close to Jesus. But you can be here this morning, you can be close to Jesus, but is your life grafted into His? Are you functioning in your life in a way that Jesus is the source of your life, the vital, life-giving person? The instructions he gives his disciples who will be left alone is this. Jesus is sitting there. They've actually just left this upper room. Probably evening time walking by a grape vineyard. And he gives a graphic illustration, a visual illustration that he is the source of your life. He not only explains that we can live our lives well and function and flourish with Him as the source, but He also gives us all a purpose. And this is just straightforward from the passage. Verse 2 says this. The last part of verse 2 says, He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Our purpose... Life can get confusing and tough to navigate all the different things going on in life, but your purpose, according to Jesus, is to bear fruit. To bear fruit in your life. And it might even mean there are times when He prunes, but the purpose of your life is to be fruitful. Here's how the Bible speaks of that. Because often we think about different ways. Our minds go to different places. If I say to you that your purpose in life is to be fruitful, our minds go different places. And we think about, okay, here's what I think that means. All right, well, let me just tell you as clearly as we can what the Bible says about that. When the Bible speaks about being fruitful in life, it's referring to character change. It's referring to change in your life. 
And it really, it speaks about in two different ways. In, in Romans chapter 1, Paul talks about people being fruitful, about new spiritual life. About new spiritual life. But also, in our lives, if you are a believer, it means that your life, that your life is changing to, to become more like Christ. Jesus describes fruit production by remaining in Christ. What does that mean? Here's what he says. We're always looking for key words. The word abide is used over and over and over again. Verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, verse 9, and verse 10. Abide in me. Remain in me. If we want to bear fruit, our lives must remain in him. And he gives two really specific Easy to understand examples of what that means. To abide in Christ, to bear fruit in Christ, means that two things are showing up in your life. Two things are showing up in your life. Number one is love. Here's what Jesus says. Um, verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my Father. You will abide in my love. So fruit-bearing Christians are growing in love and obedience. We're growing in love and obedience. It's easy to think about, just for a second, what it means to grow in love. And the easiest way for us to do that is to allow our minds go towards a romantic illustration. To grow in love. When you're growing in love with a boyfriend or girlfriend, mom or dad don't have to say to you, go spend time with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Okay? It's the opposite of your homework. You naturally want to spend time. You'll drive long distances. Karen and I lived an hour away from each other when we were dating. No big deal, right? Work eight hours, ten hours. Drive an hour, go have lunch. You'd have an hour lunch break. It was no big deal to drive for an hour to spend 45 minutes with her, drive an hour back, and go back to work. No big deal. We grow in love. That means you enjoy being, not with your boyfriend or girlfriend in this case, but you enjoy the presence of the Lord. The purpose of your life, this, these are things, these are like ultimate big picture things in your life. When Jesus says he gives you a purpose and your purpose is to bear fruit, your purpose in life, it's not to start a nonprofit organization, it's not to do all these really good things. It, there are so many good things in life, but these are not ultimate things. The ultimate thing, Jesus says, is you grow in your love for Him. You grow in your love for Jesus. You grow in your love for God. And the check in our own hearts and minds and thinking through this is do you love spending time with Jesus? Do you do, you, do, you do that? Let me give you one example. If you have your Bible, turn to uh, Psalms chapter 1. Just a way to help us understand. Our purpose is to bear fruit. And what that looks like is we're growing in two things. We're growing in love and growing in obedience. Here's how we grow in our love for God. Psalms chapter 1 says this, Blessed is this man. And we're going to skip the first part of verse 2, because it's talking about the wicked man. But blessed is this man. Verse 2 says this, 
His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on His law He meditates day and night. We pick up the horticulture horticulture theme again. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. The question is, are you spending time in the presence of the Lord reading God's Word? Your purpose in life? And here's the thing. This, This takes a long time to sink in. Because we are, we naturally, let me go back to the romantic thing for just a second and how this will be different than how it is with God. When you're dating and your girlfriend or boyfriend, your girlfriend says, I'm hungry, the boyfriend will say, let's stop and get something to eat. All right? So we, we naturally, we'll just do things. We do things to show our love. It's easy. We don't even think twice about it. But what's different about this, and the danger about this, is when we say we love God, is we want to do things for God to show his love. And that's not what's happening here. This, is, this concept will take a long time to sink into your life, but I'm going to try to press this into your life. It is not just about showing, you don't just show your love for God by doing obedient things. It's not just, it goes deeper than that. It goes to the idea that you want to be in the presence of the Lord, that you enjoy worship, that you enjoy spending time in the Bible. And what happens is we are so driven to do things. We are so driven to accomplish things. And I know we all are. College degrees, graduate degrees, successful people, making money, all these really good things people are accomplishing in your life. But what Jesus is saying here, it's something deeper than you responding to God's love by doing things. Jesus is saying this, your purpose is to enjoy being in my presence. And if you're not buying what I'm saying, look what, John, look what happens in verse 15. Chapter 15, <clears throat> verse 15 says, No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. What a radical transition Jesus makes here, that Jesus is calling you a friend. That's describing a whole new type of relationship. A type of relationship that takes away guilt, that takes away this deep obligation, where you slide into a performance-based Christianity. Your job in life is to love God, to enjoy being in His presence, to just stop. Sometimes I have to tell my boys, stop, just stop, stop what you're doing. And I'm saying the same thing to all of us and to myself. Stop, just stop what you're doing for a minute. As a teacher and a pastor, there's not like a checklist of things that I can do when I'm done with a day. A long time ago when I built houses, I could frame a wall, go home, be done. The house is done. Eventually the house gets done and you go to the next job. Most of our jobs now today, listen, the work is never done. It's never done. And I'm telling you, your job 
is to stop. Just stop and enjoy the presence of the Lord. That's what Jesus is, this is not some little side talk. This is like big picture ultimate things of your life to enjoy the presence of the Lord. He does, though, conclude that when that love, when that sincere, genuine love is happening in your life, it will show itself in obedience. The motive is what's radically different. Just go back to husband-wife dating relationships. You stop checking out other people of the opposite gender because you love your spouse. Because you sincerely love your spouse. When you're dating, right, eyes are like, or when you're like looking for the boyfriend, girlfriend, right, you're always looking, 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 nonstop, okay? When you're married and when you are in love with your spouse, you're not looking because you love your spouse. Jesus says that kind of sincere, beautiful, pure love will result in obedience to Jesus. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's not the other way. It's not obeying commandments to make God love you. And I'm telling you, you will have to press this truth into your life over and over again because you, all of us, are programmed to be obedient, hoping to earn God's love. The opposite is true. Enjoy the presence of the Lord. Stop, slow down, and enjoy the presence of of the Lord. If you want to flourish in the Christian life, slow down and enjoy the presence of the Lord. I just want to just elaborate a little bit more, though, on the idea of purpose and fruit. Because we all know, if you've been a Christian for a long time, your mind will go to um, Galatians chapter 5 where Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit and the things that will show up in your life. But Jesus, we've got to keep the ultimate, the main thing, the main thing. And Jesus said, what will show up in your life is love. All right, think about this for just a second. We all have friends here. We know each other. Some of us know each other better than others. And before we read this passage... We're going to try to think of three or four or five adjectives that your friends might use to describe you. Okay? Will one of those words be loving? Will one of those words be loving? Will one of those words be joy? Will one of those words be peace? This is from Galatians 5. Will one of those adjectives that describe you be patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is your purpose in life. It's to produce fruit. This kind of character change. When they think of you and your name, do people think of of you as loving, patient? What about self-control? All you young men, self-control. We just function on our urges. I tell you, Father of three boys, we are, many men are impulse driven. I've teached my boys, when you eat, you can actually pause for a half a second 
It's just not a conveyor belt. We're just shovels and shovels and shovels. Impulse, hungry, solution, stuff. Self-control, slow down. What describes you? When people, when I think of your name, when you think of my name, loving, are you a peacemaker? Are you patient? Are you kind to your spouse, to your children, to your friends? These characters, these character traits reveal what's happening in our hearts. And this is just trying to be as clear as I can with you, the purpose of your life is to enjoy the presence of the Lord. And it will work itself out. It will reveal things to people. Think of Galatians chapter 5. Think of things that will show people Jesus. Quickly, throughout the passage again, how does this happen? How do you bear more fruit in your life? How do you become more patient? How do you become more kind? All these things. You have to know the source of your life. The source of your life is not strong will. I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to pull myself together. I'm going to be more joyful in the morning. Listen, give it up. You have to understand the source of this. The source is always Jesus. You do have a purpose. Be in His presence. Produce fruit. Produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. The last thing in this passage that we'll look at this morning is this very, very unique and very odd thing. But Jesus gives you power. And I know that sometimes for some Christians, they're like, yeah, I like that. And others are like, no, no, not really. I don't even know what that means. But here's what I'm going to read to you just quickly, and I'm going to show you in the Bible that Jesus, when he repeats things over and over and over again, that means we naturally won't get it by ourselves. Okay? So, Jesus says this, Ask whatever you want in my name, and I'm going to give it to you. Ask whatever you want in my name, and I will give it to you. Before I even show you where he says this over and over and over again, think about how dangerous this is. Think about the, how dangerous power is. Some of you probably have families where there might be an inheritance coming. Why don't dads say, son, you get your complete inheritance, your five million when you're 13. Why don't we do that? Because we know it's extremely dangerous. Power, this, this, this thing that Jesus says, ask anything you want, Anything you want. We need to understand exactly what Jesus is talking about. But if you like to note things in your Bible, let me show you all the places that Jesus says this. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 13 and 14. I'm going to read just a few of these. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the, the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. 15.16, and I'm skipping 15.7. 15.7 says, I'll just show it to you because that's the passage where we're at. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. 
that the fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in My name, He may give it to you. 16. Chapter 16, verse 23. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in My name, He will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in My name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. What is Jesus talking about here? Jesus is giving you power. And I'm not going to tone it down. I'm not going to give you all of these things, say, tone this down. This isn't exactly what Jesus means. So here's what we do. Whenever you have a passage like this that makes you scratch your head a little bit, you always have to understand Jesus in the right context. What is the context that he is talking about? He repeats something over and over again, telling us, hey, you haven't even asked. So that's true for some of us. Some of us have not even asked. Jesus is telling you, ask, 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 and I will give it to you. Well, there are some conditions, right? So if you want to think of it, if you like shapes and things, think of it as a circle. The context of this, of this prayer if you want to call it the power prayer, the context of this power prayer is this. And we've already alluded to it, but verse 15 says this. This prayer is directed specifically to people who are friends of Jesus. People who are friends of Jesus. If we want to make a circle and think of this powerful prayer, there are conditions on the prayer. Jesus is very clear. It is not that Jesus is acting as some genie and saying, hey, whatever you want, I'm going to give it to you. It is for people who are friends of Jesus. And it must push then to ask the question, are you a friend of Jesus? Are you a friend of Jesus? What is the mark of somebody who is a friend of Jesus? This is as straightforward as it can be, a friend of Jesus is someone who will submit to the authority of Jesus. A friend of Jesus is someone who will submit to the authority of Jesus. This is, I was talking this week with um, my eighth graders, and this concept is becoming culturally foreign in our society. In 1969, there was a very popular slogan that said, question authority. The slogan assumes something that we don't assume today. The question assumes that there is authority. Today, culturally, we question if authority even exists. Who are you to tell me what to do? Who are you to push that on me? And so the whole idea of authority is becoming more and more foreign. But the most basic trait of a Christian is someone who has submitted their life to Jesus Christ. Someone who is connected to Jesus. Someone who understands through faith that Jesus is the source of your life. And what happens is there is a subtle but distinct and very important difference between being near Jesus and being deeply connected to Jesus. 
a friend of Jesus is someone who is deeply connected to Jesus, someone who has submitted their life for Jesus. So the prayer is this. Friends of Jesus, pray. Pray for fruit in your life. Pray for things that will lift up the name of Jesus. Another way to think through this prayer is that it's aimed at friends of Jesus and the aim of the prayer is that it is concerned for the name of Jesus. Paul prays this. Here, here it was the, the life prayer of Paul is that the gospel would go to the Gentiles. They would go, that the gospel would go to people who do not yet know him. And so Jesus is saying to the people, here is a prayer that is available to you. Pray this prayer in faith. Pray it in my name. The prayer is for friends of Jesus. The prayer is concerned for the name of Jesus. And the prayer is governed by the words of Jesus. Verse 7, and I'll finish with this. Verse 7, chapter 15 says this, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Sometimes we think of prayer as a ritual routine where there is no faith, where there is no confidence in Jesus Christ. And this is a, this is a personal opportunity for everyone in their own personal private life to say, Jesus, are you real? Is this real? Jesus, I want to submit my life to you. I want to be considered your friend but I need help in this area. You promise to help me. You promise to take care of me. And the question is, in our own desire to be safe, our own desire to be secure, we never pray a prayer of risk. We just always want to err on safety and contentment. Jesus is focusing on these three big things. The disciples are deeply concerned. How am I going to live my life? Jesus is leaving. Jesus says, I am the source of your life. In faith, live your life as if I am the source of your life. Live your life in a way that is fruit producing. That is character transforming. That when people think of your life, they think of me. They think of Jesus. And live your life with power. Live your life with risk-taking prayer that is secured and anchored in the words of Jesus. If we want to come and see Jesus, we want to come and see the one who gives and sustains life through his Spirit. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we, uh, we come to you humbly before you. We want to open up our hearts, our minds to you. We want to be a church family that sincerely seeks after you. We confess that we are, we are all deeply flawed. We are all in deep need of you. Father, I pray that we would leave here renewed, knowing that you give us life. That you are a giving God. That you give us your son, Jesus as the source of our life, that we don't have to keep trying harder and harder and harder, but that we would give 
our life over to your son Jesus. We love you. I pray that the transformation would happen, that lives would be changed so we can say, thank you, Jesus. It's only because you live that I can grow and change. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.